This morning we gather to praise God. So let us stand together and sing praise to God who reigns above. All of the music is on the music insert this morning. grace and peace of Christ be with you. This morning as we turn to greet one another, okay, we're moving from handshake to fist to how about a wave today? Just a wave, no touching, okay? Keep your own germs, okay, let's greet one another. to wave, isn't it? We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you visiting with us today. We are very glad that you're here with us. And on each one of the pews, there is a friendship pad. It's a black folder. It should be near the center aisle. We'd love to have you fill it out and pass it down the row. Let us know that you're here with us today. Also, you can see the announcements that are inside of your bulletin. This morning at the 10 o'clock hour, right after this service, uh, Ken Cornelison and Daryl Lynn, who are waving right there, <clears throat> are going to talk about their recent trip to Kenya and Uganda in which they participated in the wedding of the girl that they have sponsored for so many years for World Vision. And there are all sorts of wonderful pictures about that multiple-day wedding ceremony. Uh, they will be upstairs in Hills Hall, which is just above the Rose Garden. You'll find a, 
a, both a stairway and an elevator over there, right outside of the, of the Rose Garden. That will be at 10 o'clock upstairs. And then at 11.30 upstairs, the group that is going to Scotland invites you to join them to hear about our Scottish heritage from Dr. Rebecca Pritchard, who will be here to talk about that. She's an expert in Scotland and is back and forth there all the time. She's a minister in the USA, but has also uh, ministered in Scotland. Our parenting workshop begins tomorrow night. Is there still room? For parents of children zero to six, you can sign up online for that. It is a really wonderful thing that is, uh, we're bringing in some experts from La Cañada and some other places. It's going to be a great, great uh, series. So that begins tomorrow night. Uh, this coming Friday, Saturday, uh, Anna Kafalis is going to be teaching us to do some Greek cooking. We have a little more room for that. You can sign up on the patio to be a part of that. Also, our, Laguna, our Presbyterian Church Heritage Foundation invites you to leave a lasting legacy by putting the church in your will. They have a booth outside, and they would love to talk to you more about how to do that. The third Friday group invites you to sign up today to not only have a St. Patrick's Day celebration, but to hear about the decommissioning of San the San Onofre plant. Laura Pollocky is going to speak about that. Um, the Srigleys are her parents. Wave your hands, Srigleys. Bob and, Bob and Sylvia are her parents. And what? Your grandparents? Don't say your grandparents. <laughs> they are her parents. And she's going she's to speak about that. Um, and she's quite the expert on that. It'll be an interesting evening. You get to both have uh, Irish food and hear about San Onofre at the same time. Today, is, we seem to eat all the time. Molokai Bake Sale is this morning. You can help out the kids who are going on the Molokai mission trip by buying some goodies out on the patio at the end of the service. Also, if you are interested in going to the women's retreat two weeks from this weekend, but you haven't signed up, you can still get in for Saturday only. You can see how to do that online. There's room for Saturday only to be a part of that. And next Sunday, we spring forward. So you set your clocks, or you will be late to church. Not early, late, yes. So there'll be a whole lot of people in second service next week, probably. Um, and also, one of our former members, Jack Dorr, has passed into the presence of the Lord. You can see the information about his service that's on the back of the connections. That's not going to be here. It's going to be in uh, Mission Viejo. And it, the, in Dana Points, the information is right there. It's this coming weekend. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, we are people who must sing you for the sake of our very lives. You are a God who must be sung by us for the sake of your majesty and your honor. And so we thank you for lyrics that push us past our reasons, for melodies that break open our givens, for cadences that locate us home beyond all our safe places, for tones and tunes that open our lives beyond control and our futures beyond despair. We are witnesses to your mercy and splendor, and we will not keep silent ever again. Amen. Please join me for our call to worship. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us stand as we sing together. The invitation in Lent is to come. Come away. Let's be together. Come and let us seek God's face together as we sing. Come away from rush and hurry to the stillness of God's peace. 
I have to encourage my soul to sing. I don't know about you, but this song is, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I encourage you to sing this morning for our God is a great God and we are his people, the sheep of his hand. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his heart. Oh, 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 oh,
Ele is on. Christe Ele is on. We'll sing the verse to begin with. As we come before you with the knees. Gracious God, you who command, giver of commandments, we intend obedience without reserve. But as we ponder your commands, they often come at us more nagging from a parent, like more rules from our teachers, like more expectations from our peers, like more pressure from the church, like more defeat from our guilty conscience. We confess that our obedience thins down to resentment. In turning to you, in turning from you, we settle for less than the abundant generosity you intend. Forgive us then, when we are quiet enough, humble enough, when we turn towards you, we hear your wonderful words of life and know that in your command is our perfect freedom, perfect shalom, perfect wholeness. In this moment of quiet, renew and restore us. Give us understanding and wisdom. Hear us now, Lord, as we come before you with our personal silent confessions. Amen. 
Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How How precious precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Trust in the steadfast love of God. This is the good news. In Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. When it comes to the Ten Commandments in history, 
Many, many people see this as the pivotal chapter in the book of Exodus. After all, if Cecil B. DeMille was thinking that Charlton Heston could play this part, the big moment was the coming of the Ten Commandments. I would like to suggest to you that that's not the big moment. The big moment was last week. It is God's great vision for Israel over history that they become a nation of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy group of people committed to being in God's presence and helping others be in God's presence. If the Ten Commandments are disconnected from this great vision, we are in deep doo-doo. And that's where we find ourselves a lot of times in history. And God, where Israel finds itself in history, the disconnection between the Ten Commandments and the presence of Almighty God. Let's don't do that. And so the question for us today is, how does God intend to make a nation of priests? The answer is in Exodus 20. And there's two ways we can venture into it. One is by keeping a bunch of rules. And the other one, which is the one that that God wants us to choose, by being in God's presence and inviting others into God's presence. The rules should point to the presence. We become priests not by keeping the law or laws, but by being in the presence of God. We learn priesthood by being in relationship with God as God is the high priest and Jesus is the high priest. Moses learned how to be a priest from God. Moses learned how to be a priest from the women of the tribe of Levite who taught him how to be a priest. Moses learned how to be a priest from Jethro, the priest of Midian, And they all did the same thing. They lingered in the presence of God and God spoke to them before there ever was a law. Let us not be seduced in a culture that wants to set the Ten Commandments up as the great solution for humanity. It's not. The Ten Commandments are a servant to help us into the presence of a loving God. I call your attention to the painting again on the front of your bulletin. Last week we said a little bit about the painter, Yoram Renan, but I want you to take another look at that painting, not closely, but in general, and if you can see a hint of a face in the fire and in the darkness, That's what he's trying to communicate. God's in the face of Israel. God's face is shining there in bright light on the mountain. And that face is what God is inviting the people into experience the presence of God. And that's what Moses learned, to be in God's face. And he learned to be a priest. The bulletin painting shows a fiery, loving, overwhelming, intense, burning, passionate God amid the people. And so with this environment, let us now read the text of the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Notice, loving God precedes the keeping of the commandments. 
You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses God's name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, not you or your son or your daughter, not your male or female slave, not your livestock, nor the alien resident in your towns. No one works. No one. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. I love it how the house precedes the wife, by the way. <laughs> you shall not covet your male or your female slave, your neighbor's ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. A little hard to say thanks be to God after that, isn't it? <clears throat> focus, focus, focus. When I was in high school, I had the fortune of being invited into the high school choral group. It was led by Mr. Gus. His name was Donald Gustafson. He had sung with Robert Wagner and Robert Shaw. That's considered the holy land of singers, by the way. And he was a very good singer, a tenor who could sing a high F. What do you think about that? <laughs> On a good day. <laughs> and so I'll never forget being in the room with Donald Gustafson, learning how to sing in the choir. And he would say things like this, tremendous focus, <laughs> amazing energy. He would inspire me to make music as an early vocation and voice and performance. Be intensely present in the moment as you sing. It's a mental discipline, a discipline of your body. It is your whole being that enters into singing. You hear the message? Be present. There's been a lot of grief and remembrance of Kobe Bryant. One of the things that people remember about Kobe Bryant is what he called his mamba mentality. What did that mean? He called it his killer instinct to always do the best he possibly could anytime he was playing the basketball game. He would give it all at all costs, assertively, sacrificially, with total investment, and with unbelievable practice. Mental fortitude. He would talk about having to win the interior battle over the exterior body. Because whether you are good or not is all about what's going on in here to be able to discipline your body. A constant quest to become your best self, whole, complete, and excellent. The introspection of who we are becomes the improvement of what we do. I don't care who it is and what discipline you practice, they will invite you, if they are good, into this practice of being present in the moment. And practicing, 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 making sure it happens better and better and better. That's what the Sabbath is all about. It is putting into practice the presence of God and the importance of humanity and even animals around us so that we can keep the other nine commandments. 
people say, well, you know, the first three commandments are the most important. Then you've got the Sabbath, and then you've got the last six. Commandments for God, commandments for humanity. But they forget that the organization of Hebrew thought is to look at the middle thought as the key thought. It's called an arch. And the middle thought here is about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I would suggest to you that numbers count when it comes to Hebrew metaphors and practices. The number one is who God is. The number three is the call to divine wholeness. The number six is what happens when God creates human beings on the sixth day, and it's always referring to humanity, and sometimes it's brokenness and sin. The number 10 is about entering into the wholeness and completeness of everything God intends. And so the commandments are authored in a special way. 3, 1, 6 equals 10. In order to keep the first three and the last six, you have to keep the pivotal middle commandment. Now, how do I put this in other words? If you spend your life saying, I have done perfection in relationship to the first three commandments and the last six, but you don't hang out with God, you've really messed up. Can I make it any clearer than that? And that's what happens to a lot of people in history. As we shall see in a couple of moments, that's what happens to Israel in history. The key words for this statement is remember, Sabbath, and holy. Remember is a word that can also be translated be mindful, be intentional. Go back to the origins of what was originally intended. Remember. Sabbath doesn't just mean rest. Oh, we reduce it to rest. We like the word rest after we've worked so hard all week. Oh, if I can just take a nap on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath means to pause, to turn and do something different than what we've done all week. And that difference is to pay attention to the presence of God and pay attention to the importance of human beings and live beings like animals. Holy means to set it all apart, to consecrate it, to make it special, to keep practicing it over and over and over again. And so remembering takes us back to how did God celebrate God's first Sabbath? This is where a lot of people miss the point. When you look back at creation, it said God created, cre- God created the heavens and the earth and all of humanity in six days. And on the sixth day, God said it was very good. And then God rested on the seventh day. And everybody takes a big sigh of relief. But if you look at the next chapter, you find out what God does on the seventh day. This is the part we miss. God comes down from heaven and walks on earth with Adam and Eve in the breezy, cool part of the day because God wants a relationship with humanity on the seventh day. And God moves. God is present on the seventh day. And I would suggest to you the rest of the Bible is about what God does on the seventh day. The Bible doesn't exist without God working hard on the seventh day. What kind of rest is that? Well, it's a rest from creation. It's now relationships. That's what God does on the seventh day. God enters into relationship with humanity. And God never gives up on that. The rest of the Bible is about how God wants to have a relationship. Even Revelation is about the city of God coming down to be on earth where God dwells among human beings. And so what is the pivotal action of the Sabbath? It's about building community with God 
and about building community with other human beings. And some of those are listed, for example, build community with your family, your daughters and your sons, your wife, your husband. Build community with your slaves. Well, we don't have slaves today, at least most of us don't. We have employees, people who work for us. Build humanity and relationships with the people who come from different countries, who are strangers and foreigners, people who are no longer a part of your household. They're homeless. Build relationship with every valued being. That's what God wants us to do with the Sabbath. Contemporary mindfulness is an idea and a practice. We often separate it from the disciplines of God, but contemporary mindfulness comes right out of that Hebrew word, remember. Mindfulness is understood today scientifically as it lights up parts of the brain that aren't active during the regular work week. Ah, there's a reason to do it. Otherwise, we're half brain dead. Mindfulness protects aging from brain decline. These are proven scientific discoveries. If you remember the Sabbath, guess what? It's going to help your brain development. Because relationships are a different part of the brain than working with our hands or doing stuff. The guidelines for mindfulness are to set aside a time and a space, observe what's going on in the present moment, pay attention, give up judgmentalism and bias and narrow opinions, and be honest with your own self-examination of why you think the way you think and how that leaves God out. That's interesting. Mindfulness is about giving up our bigotry and our judgmentalism. Wouldn't it be helpful for Americans today to become mindful? Remember the Sabbath, because that's when God loves people and teaches us to love each other. And then the final guideline of mindfulness is be kind to yourself when you're practicing it. Don't beat up on yourself if you don't get it right, because you're going to fail at it. I love that one. You need a lot of practice. Kobe Bryant, when he's talking about Mamba mentality, said I had to play it over and over and over and over again to get it right. Maybe thousands of times. And maybe we need thousands of times we get our relationship with God right and our relationship with other people right. The ancient practices of Sabbath are about the space to be apart, the space to be in God's presence, the space not to work, the space to stop working. You know, one of the things that we Americans do is we keep functioning in our left brain to keep producing even when we're not supposedly working. And so people are often fined on their cell phones and on their regular phones and their scheduling processes on their day off, and they're still working their agenda. What God says is, if you're going to have an agenda, then work the relationships the way you work your work. Because being is just as important or more important in the long run than doing. What is the way that a, a number of people who work all their lives look at retirement with panic? Because we are going to stop doing what we've been doing and we're going to start have to be present in the relationships that we haven't worked on. Scares the hell out of us. What God says, if you start working on that when you're young, as a Sabbath space, then it won't frighten you when you're retired. 
We value each person. We value the presence of God. And most importantly, it says, honor your father and mother. We value the parents that gave us life. That's a special value we don't have time to go into today. Holiness means to set aside time, intentionality, discipline, practice, practice, practice. To be focused and single-minded. And so what are people supposed to do on the Sabbath day? Come to a worship service? Yeah, that's helpful. Listen to a sermon? Yeah, that's helpful. But the real question is, are you developing a disciplined relationship of intimacy with God? And is your relationship with other human beings growing on your Sabbath? There's a great classic of spirituality called Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence had some of these things to say in his reflections on practicing the presence of God. God is nearer to us than we can possibly think or imagine. We are invited into a continual and constant conversation with God. Do not be discouraged by your resistance that you will encounter from your human nature. Sound familiar with mindfulness? Don't be too hard on yourself. You're going to fail. Let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. We should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with God. What Brother Lawrence does is take the Sabbath into everyday life. By the way, part of the seventh-day concept is, is a part of the law. The value of that is to bring relationships into every part of our living relationship life, including God's presence. Now, at the beginning of the, at the Ten Commandments is this statement that God invited Israel or brought Israel out of Egypt. God brought Israel out of slavery. Here's the thing that haunts the entire Bible. Rather than leave slavery behind, Israel tends to turn the law into another pharaoh. And that's the danger that we have in all parts of our life to turn our gift of the presence into a set of boundaries and laws and rules that we become enslaved to. Of course, the epistles by the Apostle Paul were written to tell us basically, don't be enslaved by the law, be engaged by the presence of a loving God. And Paul himself says, I've been there, done that. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was enslaved, and I was really good at enslaving other people. Paul is admitting he was a Pharaoh to a lot of people around him because they weren't keeping the law perfectly the way he did. I have a set of rules, and I expect you to keep my rules the way I expect you to keep them. That's not God talking. That's Pharaoh. And guess who crucified Jesus? People who were enslaved. The law. They made the law and the rules. The things that they had to abide by. And in doing so, they killed the very person who was the presence of God. That's the ultimate lesson of the Sabbath. Jesus becomes the living Sabbath among us so that we won't be enslaved by rules. Growing up is about moving from the rules as children to the relationship of love as adults. And that's what God wants, adult, loving human beings who love God and love their neighbor as their self. If you have a chance to look at the bookmark that has been passed out or is being passed out for Lent, you have these words of reminder on the bookmark. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Return to God. Remember God. 
recall God. Be renewed in God's presence. And God is not a set of rules. God is a being who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. That's a biggie there. Wouldn't it be great if Americans were slow to anger today? And we weren't feeding on anger. We were feeding on grace and mercy. And finally, a God who's full of steadfast love. There's where God's beckoning us to go in relationship to him and relationship to each other, relationship to the homeless, relationship to the people from other countries and other religions who live outside our boundaries. Love them with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's the mindful thing to do. Let us pray. Gracious God, for your great love for us that beckons us into your presence and frees us from living by the rules, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit who is the fullness of your presence, seen most clearly in Jesus who loved us and laid down his life for us. Amen. Let us continue to pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your law. Under your law and in your presence, we seek to live and to order our lives. We ask that you would guide us this week as we vote. Give us grace to respect neighbors whose views differ from ours. Without judgmentalism, teach us to work out issues that divide us and to elect candidates who will serve us well. We give you thanks that as you walked with your people through the wilderness of Sinai, so you also walk with us through our own times of wilderness, that you draw close in our powerlessness. And so we bring to you the vulnerable of our world those who don't know where they'll find the next meal or shelter from the weather, those whose daily diet is injustice and despair, those caught up in warfare and violence. We pray, too, for all who are ill or find themselves under quarantine, for those who have no access to medical care that they need, for those who face surgery, or who fight cancer, those whose minds are anxious, those whose failures overwhelm, those who face great temptation, and those whose loneliness and grief move them beyond tears. Deepen our wounds into wisdom, shape our weaknesses into compassion, even as we pray for the day when your will is done on earth as in heaven, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think we tend to attach our money to our primary value system. We worked hard for that money. That money belongs to us. You want some of it, God? Convince us you need it. However, the Sabbath suggests to us that we have a discipline ahead of us. And that is, we've worked hard for the money for six days a week. Let's take a day out and let's give some of that away for the value of God's presence and the value of other human beings. And so we are sorting through our value system with our giving.
Let us give of what God has given to us and invest in Sabbath disciplines of loving God and loving neighbor. Amen. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Oh, to live into that freedom. Shining as the sun
as you have gifted us with Sabbath space in Jesus, we gift you back with our investment in you and in the humanity that you so love. Take these gifts and use them in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we commit ourselves. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, we invite you after the service to come forward to meet with one of our prayer ministers right over here. They would love to pray with you and for you. You may remember that John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, was a slave ship owner and captain. He specialized in enslaving humanity and bringing them to Europe and America. When he recognized that he was breaking the primary rule of God for the loving of a neighbor who is African, African American, he repented and it changed his life because he now valued God's love and valued the love of the black people he enslaved. Remember, as you go, go in the grace, mercy, and loving kindness, the slow anger of who God is. And may you bless the people around you with those loving characteristics. Amen.